My subject this morning is what is Christianity? What is it to you? I mean, the basic claim of the early Christian church was that they had discovered a different way of life. And it was simply better than what was offered to them by the non-Christian world. But as far back as we can go, the early church disagreed with each other. When you read the Bible, even Paul and Peter didn't agree. I mean, after they got together and they went over everything, yes, they did agree then. And they were one. But we find that um, in the Christian community, there's uh, so many theological differences that one almost wants to scratch their head and they figure, well, well, who's right? And it's not a question of who's right. That's not the real question. The real question is that Jesus Christ and him crucified is right. And we preach Christ and Christ only. So that ought to be the substance in all 300 different denominations. But unfortunately, it's not quite that way. God has not called us to worship traditions, principles, or man-made rules. We worship Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So that's what we want to focus on. We want to focus on this life, this new life that Christ has given to us. If you are a Christian... You possess a new life. It's just that simple. You possess that. Living a Christian life is your reaction of his life that you have to consider. It's not a question of what is right and wrong. Somehow that has crept into the Christian church that, you know, started years ago, back in the 50s, I think it was, when... When, you make, when you're faced with a decision and you're trying to make up your mind, you have to think of what would Jesus do? And then they even had those bracelets. What would, what would Jesus do? So to remind you, if you have a decision to make, you look at your bracelet and you would read, what would Jesus do? But I want you to believe me, every born-again Christian, everyone is capable of being taught by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. And that simply means that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth about Jesus Christ. It's not about the rapture. It's not about any of those things. It's simply the Holy Spirit will lead us into understanding the reality of having Jesus Christ in your life. So, the Holy Spirit can teach us about the finished work of the cross. It can teach us about the power of the resurrection. It can teach us about walking in newness of life. It can teach us all that if we will listen to it. Now, our relationship today is far different. It invites us to experience something that the Old Testament people only could dream of. They had no idea 
of what we have today. They dreamed of it. Some of the prophets told them that one day it would happen, but they never experienced it. We have an advantage today that no other people have had. We've had that advantage since Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for our sins. Now, in Hebrews 11, and I'm going to go to Hebrews 11, 39 and 40. In my Bible, the subtitle in Hebrews 11 is The Triumphs of Faith. And then it starts by numbering those who, who live by faith. And it started with, um, it started with uh, Abel, and it started with Enoch, and then it went to Abraham, and Isaac, and Joseph, and Moses. And then it lists a lot of others, too. And then at the very end of this list, it says here in 39, And all these, having gained approval, God approved of them because of their faith. They did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us. We're the us. Better for us. It's been better for 2,000 years. Something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. And what does the Bible tell us today? You are perfect. The Bible says you are perfect in Christ. So in the New Testament, God introduces us to a better covenant. Now, God made several covenants in the Old Testament. He made a covenant with Moses. And now in the New Testament, we're introduced to a better one. It could only come into effect in a covenant or a testament, um, it can only come in after the death of the person who made it. So in the New Testament, after Jesus Christ died on the cross, this new covenant went into effect. Now, I don't know how long you've been going to church, whether it's been for 20 years or 30 years or 10 years or one year you very seldom hear sermons on Hebrews. I don't know why that is, but very seldom do you hear it. Hebrews is telling us about the new covenant. I don't know how many sermons you have heard on the new covenant in your lifetime, but most people have heard very little or none. And here it is, this new covenant, this new covenant is probably one of the most exciting things that you'll ever read in the Bible because it reminds us of how important it is that we be faithful. Now, none of us are faithful. None in the Old Testament were faithful. And that's why God turned away from them. But we can read it in Hebrews 8, 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. So there was something wrong with the first covenant. The first covenant, covenant was God's people said, Lord, 
all that you ask of us, we will do. And they never did. And so there was a problem with the first covenant. It couldn't be done. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their forefathers, with their fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. Now notice what the problem was. They did not do their part. They did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. Then the Bible says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and then, he says, and I will write them on their hearts. Now, here, we talk a lot about the heart, about you receiving a new heart, a good heart. And here it says that he's going to write those laws upon our hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone, his fellow citizens, and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. It harmonizes with what the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon all flesh. So every individual on the face of this earth will have an opportunity to make a decision. And they'll, they'll have that choice, that free will to say yes to Christ. Now, I want you to see it. The problem here was that Israel did not keep their part of the bargain. And because of that, God looked away from them. Under the new covenant, which we are under, which went into effect when Jesus died on the cross, this contract with God solved the problem. God stamped his desires on our hearts. You've heard me say over and over, when Christ gave you, when you said yes to Christ, he gave you a new heart, a new human spirit. He gave you all of those things. And now your desires is to do what God desires of you. You don't always do it, but that's your desire because you are born again. And you'll never, ever get away from that. Now, the Bible says that we will all get to know him. And the Bible says that he will remember our sins no more. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, their sins, and I will remember their sins no more. So it gives us a great deal of comfort to know that our sins are not only forgiven, they are forgotten forever. Forever. Now, under this new covenant, God is going to show us how he solved the problem. The secret to this new way is this. It's not about us. 
The new covenant is not about us. It's about God's faithfulness to himself. Now, it's hard to comprehend this, but let's go through it slowly. In Hebrews 6, 16, it says, For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. And then it says, In the same way God, desiring even more to show to, their, to the heirs, which is us, to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things. What are those two unchangeable things? It's God the Father and God the Son. So by the two unchangeable things in which it is possible for God, it is impossible for God to lie. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. That was Jesus Christ that entered within the veil. Then the Bible says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So here we have it. The two unchangeable things. The covenant that was made was made between God the Father and God the Son. Now, before all the other covenants were made between God and the people. And the people could not hold up their end of the bargain. You remember when Moses, before he went up to the mountain, all the people said, all that God asked us to do, we will do. It wasn't five minutes later than they were building a golden calf to a pagan god. Man hasn't been able to hold up their part of that bargain. The New Testament solves the question to man's faithfulness. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Even our spiritual growth is from him. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So even our growth in Christ is given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's not ours, it is his. His work is what answers the question. And here these two unchangeable things are given to us from this covenant was made between God, the Father, and God, the Son. Because God knew, he knew that we couldn't hold up to our end of the bargain. So God did the unthinkable. He has taken us out of the equation. Now, we are benefits of the covenant. 
but we are taken out of the equation and our salvation is given to us and our faithfulness is all about Christ. It's not about us. So here we have it. Our spiritual growth is given to us, caused by the, by the Lord Jesus Christ. God's new way is not about us. It's believing that he has all what he has already done. We know that when you said yes to Christ, you're given a new heart. You're given a new human spirit. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. That was all done for you. As a Christian, you now possess the life of Christ. The Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, most Christians are concerned about their faithfulness to God. I tell you, the Christian world is full of what ifs. Through the years, I cannot tell you how much, many times I have heard, well, what if I stop believing? What if I get a divorce? What if I commit suicide? And no matter what they come up with, it's all about you. What if I? What if I? What if I do? What if I? It's all about whether you can remain faithful or not. Our faithfulness to God was an old covenant problem that was solved in the new. He remains faithful. And don't let religion steal that away from you. It's not about you. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ who died for the sins of the world and set you free. He's not only forgiven you, he's forgotten all that you have done. Once we realizing that the determining factor to all Christian conduct is simply life. It's not a question about what is right or wrong. Even non-Christians, they have a code of ethics. They have a code. No, it doesn't make any difference where you go in this world. You can go into the jungles of Brazil of Africa, you'll, you'll find that every tribe has a code of conduct. Things that they believe that you can do and things that you can't do. We are in the process, as Christians, learning how to walk by faith. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began this good work in you, he will perfect it. He will do it through you. For we walk by faith, not by sight. That's what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And so in this process of learning how to walk in the Spirit, the fact is that in Christ, that old man or that old nature, what's often is referred to, has been crucified. It's been crucified. Listen to Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, knowing this. So do you know this? It's knowing this. That our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. 
so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Do you realize that you are not a slave to sin? You can still sin, but you're not a slave to it. You're not a slave to sin. And it is a present fact that we are blessed with every blessing. Notice Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. If we are not responding to our interactions. Now let's think for just a moment. We've accepted Christ as our personal Savior. Christ lives in us. The Holy Spirit is guiding us. So if we're not living, if we're not living by our inner self, then we are not responding to walking in the Spirit. We can trust our inner self. And when we are not walking in the Spirit, we sense we have a life of contradiction. And then, when we sense that, we get confused about life. We get confused about right and wrong. Living by the Spirit means that I believe and I trust that Christ is in me and that the Holy Spirit is guiding me. And as the Holy Spirit is guiding me, he's doing something that I can't do myself. We may be dealing with someone with a bad temper. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but we may be doing somebody with a bad temper. Or maybe we're dealing with somebody that has impure thoughts. That's probably all of us. A, or maybe a quick tongue or maybe a critical spirit. And as a Christian, you recognize that maybe this is part of you. And uh, you've determined that you're going to change with God's help. And that sounds good and spiritual. But here's the facts. We should consider ourselves dead in Christ to all of these things. I'm dead to that. I'm dead to a bad temper. I have Christ living in me. I have the Holy Spirit guiding me. So I'm dead to a bad temper. I'm dead to impure thoughts, although they will come, but I'm dead to it as they come. The facts are we simply need to reckon ourselves dead. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So here's the key, and here's, this is the process that we're learning here, is to how to walk by the Spirit. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. I want to focus a little bit on doing the things that you please. What are these things? Well, let's look at what's happened to us. We're born again. 
So at our deepest core, our desires is to do what God desires. So this is what we please. But the flesh is against the spirit. Spiritually, what we want to do, the things that we want to do is pleasing to God. Because Christ living in you gives you the power and it gives you the desire to do what God wants you to do. Every one of us here, we desire at our deepest core, we desire to do what God wants us to do. When we walk by the Spirit, we are listening to our inner spirit. We will hear the very things that God will initiate in our minds. What we are doing is drawing life from him, the one who lives within us. We're not going through life reasoning what is right, what is wrong, should I, could I, would I, no. We are simply listening to what God wants us to do. For those who have known the mind of the Lord, that we will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Did you know that you have the mind of Christ? Every one of us here, we have the mind of Christ. We desire what God desires. But it seems like, and the reality is that we do have a problem with the mind. We have assumed we are what we think. And we even use a Bible scripture for it. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. But I want to challenge you this morning just to think that perhaps not every thought that we think comes from us. That's the struggle that Paul had in Romans 7. He says, I don't understand it. The things that I know what I should do, I don't do. I don't know what's going on. He says, but it is sin that dwells within me. So we do have a problem with the mind. But not every thought that we think comes from us. So God has called us to reinterpret every ounce of our thought life in what is revealed in what is revealed in the word of god when you said yes to christ he made you a new creation fact you are a new creation he gave you a new heart it's a fact he gave you a new human spirit that's a fact he did all those things for you and when we believe that we are new, because the Bible says that we are a new creation, when we believe that we are new and trust in it, that is when we will live in reality. The reality of our newness is confirmed over and over again when we are thinking God's thoughts. God's thoughts is what challenges us and fulfills us. 
That is why the Bible tells us to think on heavenly things. So the object of our faith, that's what we should be thinking about, is Jesus Christ. But many get confused about God's will. I don't know how many of you have ever been confused about God's will, but I've certainly had my share of confusion when it comes to God's will. Now, I'm not going to go into depth this morning about God's will, but I am going to cover what I think is probably the most important, and that is I want to make it clear that God's will is a new way to think and a new way to act. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. This is what God's will is. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, God is not sending secret messages as what to do. Whether you should um, buy this car or, the, or that car, God is not sending you secret messages on what job you should be doing. Um, he's not sending you secret messages and uh, saying who you should marry. Um, he's not doing those things. But so many Christians, they believe that God is doing all those things. There is no question that when we have decisions to make, that we ask God to give us wisdom when it comes to making those decisions. But we don't need signs and wonders for us to make decisions. Through the years, I have known Christians, very good Christians. They would pray about something, and they would simply open their Bible, and they start reading, looking for the answer. And sometimes they would open it up and bang, there it is. They're being Psalms and I will give you thanks with all my heart. And they're saying, you know, I opened up my Bible. I've heard people give testimonies. I've opened up my Bible. I was praying about something. I opened up my Bible. I was thinking about what I, I was weighing the difference, the pros and the cons. And all of a sudden, I was thinking that maybe this is what I should do. And I opened up my Bible and it says, trust the Lord. God spoke to me. Now, some people, they may be driving up 66 or 81. And they may be praying about something, thinking about something, and thinking what they should do. And all of a sudden, a car will pull in and they have a bumper sticker. And it says, uh, praise the Lord. All sorts of things Christian people, they want signs and wonders. They want God to somehow confirm what their choices should be. And we look for signs and we look for these miracles to happen. And that's not what God is all about. That can become very, very confusing to some people. I mean, I've heard of wonderful stories and I've said, well, praise the Lord. Um... But that's not what, what, what it's all about. 
God has given us the mind of Christ. He's given us the mind of Christ. We are given the power to choose. And sometimes in our choices, we make good decisions, and sometimes we make bad ones. I have had my share of bad ones. I was interviewed one time, and I was asked this question. Do you pray about everything? And I thought for a moment, and I said, no. No, I don't. I, I probably should, but my honest answer is, no, I don't. Sometimes I just make the decision. And I said, I just trust that everything will work out all right. The next question was given, presented to me. Um, has everything always turned out all right? I said, no. No. I said, sometimes when I look back at it, there's great lessons that I have learned. And I could probably say yes, but at the time, no, it didn't work out right. Then the individual said to me, do you know that if you prayed about it, earnestly prayed about it, then everything would be all right? I said, really? Yes. And I said, well, I said, thank you. I said, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and try and remember that. And so some people feel that you are in, in Christ or in the Holy Spirit or in God's will and sometimes you're out of God's will because you make a decision without praying about it. So you're in God's will one time and you're out of God's will another time. So what is God's will? The Bible says rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pretty simple, isn't it? I want to tell you something. That you are never out of God's will. Never. You have Christ living in you. God's will is for you to be saved. You are saved. God's will is for you to have Christ express himself in you and through you. You have that. The Bible says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. You are never out of God's will because his will is that you be with him and you are with him and he will never leave you nor forsake you. We make decisions based sometimes on what we feel that we know. And sometimes it doesn't turn out that way. And it's all right. It's all right when it does. All things work for good for those who love the Lord. 
it seems like all the bad decisions I've made and I've done my share, it still has worked out for good. And so now I can praise him. I can praise him no matter what works out, no matter what happens, I can praise him. I can thank him. I can rejoice that he is in me and I am in him. And that is the bottom line. So, we never fall out of God's will. God will never leave us, nor forsake us. He's with us to the very end. And we can rejoice. We can pray without ceasing. And praying without ceasing is not going through a bunch of words. It's just being thankful. It's just driving in your car, going up 66, or going down 81, or wherever you're going. And you're thinking, wow, God is really awesome. God is really good. My car is actually running. And everything is going to work out. All things are going to work out for good, simply because we love him and trust him. And that is the message. That's the message for every one of us, to know that all things work for good for those who love him. You and I, when we said yes to Christ, we told him that we loved him. And he responded. He came in, cleaned house, forgave us for all of our sins, cleaned house, and then his only desire was now, for the rest of your life, to allow him to live in you and through you. Let him express, let him, him express himself in you, shall we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the truth that sets us free. We thank you, Lord, that when you came knocking at our door, we're thankful that we opened that door and said yes to you. We're thankful that you came in and cleaned house and created us anew. And now we have a new life. And now we have the opportunity to express that new life by allowing you to live in us and through us. So I pray that you will continue to meet every need that we have. I pray that we can trust you, believe what you say is true. And then we will thank you for all the days of our life. Bless us to this end, I pray, for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.